Welcome to Gimme Shelter, the California Housing Crisis Podcast. I'm Matt Levin, data journalist with Cal Matters. I'm Liam Gillen with the Los Angeles Times. Today on the podcast, what to watch for in 2018 um, in California housing circles. Uh, we will very, very, very briefly touch on the GOP tax reform plan. And then an interview. In Congress. Yeah. Yes, in Congress. It'd be amazing if there was one in California. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and then we actually have an a real human being um to talk to for our interview today who who an actual actual person an actual person with like normal human feelings can talk in a normal way um who who is as opposed to developers and and state officials no we don't need any of those for the last one of the year you know this is a family and friends episode right and so we have um we have a friend of mine, uh, Amy Tomatan, uh, who just went through the experience of buying a house in Sacramento. <laughs> Which is a rare thing, an increasingly rare thing to say, I feel like, in California. And a, a hard thing to do, as we'll learn. Yes. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pumped for this. Yes. Uh, me too. Um, but first. So we got the avocado of the year. Yes. That, that story which most distills the absurdity of California housing in 2017. Great uh, idea. Um, so this is a blind avocado of the year, uh, meaning Liam and I have separately selected our avocados of the year, not knowing what the other one has selected. Um, and we'll see if we've selected the same story. I have a nagging suspicion we've selected the same story. Okay. So uh, who's going to go first? Yeah. Would you like to go first? Yeah, because I, I, I think I got a pretty good setup for you. Oh, okay. Go for it. All right. So my avocado of the year, like the avocado itself, Ooh. is also a fruit. Is also a fruit. Is also a fruit? Is also a fruit. Uh, I think I may not know my fruits and vegetables adequately, but I think we may have selected the same thing. Okay, keep going. Ease <laughs> it out. So... There was this housing project uh, discussion in Berkeley. Ah, yes. We did select, select the same <laughs> avocado of the year. Did this, did, so, this, did this event happen in June of this year? It, that sounds about right. Yes. 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 And only, <laughs> and I'm just so excited to say this phrase, to really say this, just, I mean, because it just is so few opportunities in life where someone gets up at a published public meeting and brandishes <laughs> a zucchini. Brandishes a zucchini yeah. to make a point about housing. And the, the brandishment, right, uh, came because there was some concern that a two-story building would block out the sun, causing a shadow. And said shadow would prevent zucchini growth from happening. Mm-hmm. And so we in had a, had a, a resident... vegetable garden. In a neighboring vegetable garden, we had a resident saying, brandishing her zucchini, saying strongly and proudly, this zucchini would not exist if there was a two-story building casting shadows on my vegetable garden. There's very, other, there's very few other contexts where you can brandish a zucchini. It's like in line at Whole Foods or at a <laughs> Berkeley City Council meeting debating the fate of a, uh, of a new housing project. Um, those, I have to tell you, I, 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 googled, I googled whether zucchini was a fruit or vegetable prior to our discussion, and ah, it is indeed, it. It is indeed a fruit, similar to how the avocado 
perhaps seems like a vegetable, but it but it too is is uh, is a fruit. It's it's in that kind of tomato um, part of the of the fruit universe. Exactly, yeah. things that are fruit that you think are vegetables. <laughs> um, well, uh, I, as is obvious, selected the exact same story for my avocado of the year, and I, I think it's perfect. It it was it was a perfect story in so many ways. Liam, why to you is this the avocado of the year? Well, you have we have the the obvious fruit, fruit symmetry, yes. which is clearly I mean that's like Very all, right off the bat enough for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think also it you know also it was in Berkeley, which is like also perfect, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and and, and I think also let's yeah. drill in on that a little bit actually. Why why is Berkeley perfect? Well, beside the reputation um, of this like you know liberal bastion of uh, and weird place right um i you know i think uh, <laughs> my alma mater but go ahead <laughs> so uh, aside from that, everyone knows what berkeley is i mean you know they yes. everyone across the country knows where berkeley is and yes. so it's not like you're talking about milbray right um yes. so we're like oh very few people aside from people in and around the bay area may know what milbray is um but i, I so it's like you know they got the fruit thing we got the berkeley thing and then i think like it's just it's a real great example of of priorities right and what gets talked about as being priorities whether they are you know new people who don't have a voice right who can't move into a certain place because there's not enough housing for them or not enough low-income housing or those sorts of things aren't necessarily represented in um in 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 debates about uh, about housing or, you know, <laughs> what else might get prioritized in that discussion, which is, you know, vegetables, right? And so I think, I think there's a real, you can see there's this real priority debate, uh, priority decision-making process sort of work its way out to like, you know, absurd levels, yes. you know, when you had this kind of, this kind of conversation. Yeah, yeah. so the, the, the pettiness of the dip in her particular quality of life that this project would impose um, took on a life of its own, right? Mother Jones wrote about it. Um, a few other major publications wrote about it, um, and it became like the perfect, the perfect NIMBY symbol in many ways. And also, zucchini is especially delicious with a dip. What do you know? What the latest is on that project? I don't. I don't. I, I, I just hope the best. I hope the best for the for the for the zucchini. <laughs> I know that in that city council meeting, they ended up remanding a decision on it back to the zoning board. So in, in other words, the zucchini at least scored a temporary victory there. But I don't know what the ultimate fate of that property was, which is west of San Pablo, for those of you familiar with Berkeley. Um, yeah, so I, knew, I knew we were going to come up with the same one. I knew it. It's, it just We're just, you know... Uh, just this, we're the same wavelength, and there's just an obvious. So the answer's only obvious. Yes, it's it's true. Let's move on to the number of the week. Yeah. All right. We are going to keep this really tight because I think I spread across at least two podcasts now. We've we've delved into some of the details of tax reform. Uh, so if you are interested in in many of the details of how the GOP tax plan is going to impact California housing, listen to those podcasts. Um, I also suggest that you uh, read, is it Novogratich? I always say it wrong. Novogratich. Novogratich, okay. Uh, which is a, uh, what do you want to call them? A 
affordable housing accounting firm that does a lot of good analysis on on the GOP tax bill. Check that out. We, we are going to keep this really tight. Uh, we are recording this on Monday. The bill is out of conference committee, um, so you won't get to hear me role-playing Paul Ryan or Liam role-playing Mitch McConnell, unless you really want to do that, Liam. I know it's... No, nah, I, I think you were I think really good at it last time. Week. I appreciate that. It was I, I, think, I think we can move on. It was, it was tough to tell the difference between you and Mitch McConnell. Is I don't have a draw. I don't have much of a draw. I'd say I could have an, an accent, but draw is not what I would call my accent. I wonder how he pronounces avocado. Anyway, uh, let's, let's get to the number. Do you want to take the number, Liam? I can ask you. What, what is our number of the week this week? 750,000. And why is that the number of the week? So that is the number that the conference committee settled on uh, as far as the upper limit of the mortgage interest deduction in the future. So going forward, uh, this means that uh, mortgages of uh, uh, higher than that, you won't, be get, to, won't get to deduct uh, all, of, uh, all of your mortgage from your federal taxes, uh, mortgage interest rather, from your federal taxes. And that number is down from the current uh, million dollar limit. And they kind of split the baby here. The, the house plan was originally capping it at 500000 and the Senate plan retained the original limit, which was a million. Um, so they kind of settled quite symmetrically at $750,000. Um, they did. And that's still, and while that is not as a huge of an impact on California as the $500,000 limit was, it's still, you know, um, a lot of houses, uh, Alameda, San Francisco, uh, Orange, uh, a bunch, Marin, these sorts of counties, you know, you have a higher home values or home values or home prices higher than on $70,000. And so um, people who were able to spend that amount of money on a house and need a mortgage will, uh, will be affected by it. And one of the key things you said was going forward. So again, to reiterate, uh, people who currently have mortgages over $750,000 will continue to be able to deduct the interest from that. It's people who will be taking out new mortgages I guess starting next year, maybe 2019, I'm not sure, um, that right. would be affected. So mm -hmm. a, a, a more of a I don't, slap in the face to new homeowners or people who want to take out a new mortgage, buy a new house. Who are already wealthy. Yes, exactly. Who, who are I all, mean, not, yes. not like super rich, not buying, you know, not buying... Uh, houses win cash, right? Because yes. they're still mortgages, um, but definitely wealthy enough to be able to afford um, housing at that level. Let's take a step further back. W what do you think the impact of this tax reform package, let's assume it passes, um, yeah. will be on some of the major California housing initiatives we know we're going to be covering in 2018? Yeah, I think people are going to talk about it, but I don't think um, I don't know if it's going to have like it might be part of the political conversation when we're talking about a bunch of ballot measures, including those that, um, you know, might expand Prop 13 or yes. even significantly change Prop 13. Um, the GOP tax plan will be part of that discussion. But I don't think it's going to be much more than a rhetorical device because, uh, you know, a political device, because I don't think that, you know, that that there's really much to that. You know, um, I mean, you could argue it. Sure. Like this plan might the GOP plan might make it, 
you know, uh, more likely people will stay in their houses or, or not be able to buy new ones. And therefore, we need, you know, to allow seniors to be able to take their Prop 13 benefits with them. I mean, I think, again, like, like maybe there's some truth to that, but it feels like there's there's a bunch of steps, you know, uh, a bunch of space between the GOP tax plan and anything actually on the ground that is happening here. And so, I don't know. I mean, again, I expect this to hear it talked about a lot, but I don't know if there's going to be a tremendously sharp or direct connection between the rhetoric, which, again, I expect we'll hear, and the reality of what the what the policy is going to do. I think that's true for the most part. I think the one possible exception is what they are likely to do with the state and local uh, income tax deduction and the, and the state and local property tax deduction that's been capped. So if it actually turns out that... Um, wealthier Republican homeowners end up taking a hit on their tax bill because of that, I think that is a, not even wealthier Republican homeowners, just wealthier homeowners generally, I think that is a boon to the Realtors Prop 13 um, expansion initiative. Um, mm-hmm. Because if you're getting, mm-hmm. if, if you really are getting hit with a higher federal tax bill, um, for a population right. that is going to vote uh, a lot and and uh, knows how much they're paying in taxes, that could have an actual repercussions at the ballot box in November. I don't know. What do I you think? think? I think yeah, that's good. That's good. And given that you were you were right about that, and you haven't, I'm surprised you haven't bragged about how right you were yet about the other <laughs> aspect of the federal tax I, plan. I'm getting uh, to that. Yes. The other. So ta- go ahead. Yeah. How right were you, Matt? Um, I'd say I was about 80% right because I, I thought, I thought, so what Liam is referring to is, you know, most of the predictions I make here, um, very wrong. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) a couple have been right. Um, a, a major fear of affordable housing advocates in this, uh, GOP tax plan was the fate of private activity bonds, which, uh, Mary Murtaugh, uh, the affordable housing developer we interviewed on our last podcast, literally screamed about, literally screamed. Um, you can listen to the beginning sure. of the podcast. Um, she was so afraid about what would happen to private activity bonds. My prediction was that uh, they weren't going to touch private activity bonds um, because it was so instrumental to low-income housing uh, throughout the country and to uh, infrastructure plans that Trump has. Um, and that proved to be true. Um, the bill that came, or the, I guess the plan that came out of a conference committee, um, private activity bonds are spared, um, which means uh, the low-income housing tax credit program, at least that part of it, will remain intact. Uh, demand for the low-income housing tax credit is, is still going to drop because of the drop in the corporate tax rate. Uh, Correct. But as I predicted, private activity bonds... Um, gonna be okay. Gonna be okay. That's and that's and that that's a huge that's a boon to the low income housing industry for sure. Yes, although I think they would describe it more as oh thank God as opposed to a boon. Yes, I mean <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean is it like is it a boon if you won't cut off my hand? I mean yeah. I mean, <laughs> Yes. Sure. But I mean, I'm preserving my hand, so it's not like I'm getting any any new hand. Yes. Um, but yes, like like right. Yeah. It's a sigh of relief that I get to keep my hand and it's not cut off. <laughs> now to uh, 
the main topic of today's podcast, what to be watching in California housing in 2018. So Liam and I have isolated a few of the storylines we'll be monitoring that we think are kind of um, especially important. And again, um, both of us have made infallible predictions on this podcast in the, in the past. So pay heed, I guess, is what I'm saying. Heed. Yes, heed. I guess we should start with some immediate political news, like stuff we can forecast for the beginning of 2018. Um, Liam, tell us about uh, our new uh, Senate pro tem. Yeah, so we have a new leader in the Senate. Uh, that's uh, uh, Tony Ekins. Um, it's unclear exactly when she's going to take over from uh, Kevin DeLeon, but uh, Senator Ekins is um, a long-serving legislator from San Diego, and she is also known as one of the most prominent um, housing advocates in the legislature. She was the author of Senate Bill Two, which is the seventy-five dollar uh, real estate transaction tax that was passed uh, last year. Uh, and so that's something that she had tried to get through um, the legislature for many years before it ultimately was successful. Um, and so um, she's a long time working in affordable housing, even before um, her time uh, in the legislature. Her her uh, her spouse is a affordable housing consultant. Um, and so Tony Atkins is well steeped in this world. Um, and, and what I think that means is, you know, we've talked a lot about on this podcast, a lot about the importance of priorities um, in terms of what gets done and what doesn't get done in the legislature, because there's a million issues, right? Um, and what the governor cares about or what the legislative leaders care about and, and the order in which they care about things um, really does matter to what gets done, when it gets done, um, and whether it gets done. And uh, her having housing as at or near the top of her list only means uh, I think that that the the prominence of housing will can will continue um, in in the legislature over the next number of years. She had a she has a positive working relationship with uh, Assemblyman Brian Manchin, who was a key vote, a Republican from San Diego who crossed party lines um, to make SB two a reality, right, and thus the housing package a reality. Uh, exactly. So she has demonstrated at least on that bill. Um, a, a capacity to round up people that she needs to round up to get votes across. On the flip side of that is housing was a, has long been a priority of hers. It was a priority of hers when uh, she was Assembly Speaker. And right. the major housing package that the state passed happened when she was not in a leadership position. Yeah, and there could be a lot of reasons for that. Yes. Um, and, and and maybe at some point early next year we can get her on to her on the podcast to to, to talk about her yes. housing ideas now that she's in uh, now that she's in this leadership role. But you know, I mean, it's a different time. She has many years now um, in the legislature to potentially be Senate leader, and her her time in the Assembly was always limited. Um, and so um, I think it's a different. It's a, and it's a different. The houses are different. You know, yes. um, there's a sort of more moderate element in the in the assembly that's hard to corral on a number of issues, as we saw, I think, especially with the um, the real estate transaction tax uh, that that got passed this year. The, the the hard stuff was to get the moderates on board um, in the assembly, and the Senate now is a more liberal body. Yes. Um, and and you know, it wasn't that hard to get her bill out of the Senate. Uh, okay, um, let's move now to San Francisco and. Uh, the rippling effects of uh, Mayor Ed Lee's death here in Sacramento. Yeah, so that means an, um, that we're going to soon see a mayor election in San Francisco um, sooner than we had expected. 
Um, and there is one prominent legislator in the housing space whose name has been mentioned uh, as a potential candidate in that race, and that's uh, Assemblyman David Chu. Uh, David Chu is the leader of the Assembly's Housing Committee um, and runs a number of the um, major prominent housing bills, and he was pretty instrumental in getting the housing package done this year um, by getting the governor to commit to sort of putting his muscle behind it um, during uh, uh, over the summer when the cap and trade negotiations were going on. Chu was one of the prominent members that the kind of forced the governor to or, or got the governor to say, agree to um, um, he's gonna, the, the fact that he would focus on it at the end of the year. Right. Um, and yeah. so he's um, uh, a prominent guy in the housing debate and, and he may run for, for mayor. And if he does, um, that means his his time in Sacramento would be coming to an end whether or not he wins. Uh, because he'll have to give up his assembly seat to do that. So let's assume he does run. How how big of a loss in terms of his presence in the assembly on housing matters? How big of a loss is that? I think it's a pretty big one. I mean, you do have other assembly members who are pretty active in the housing space. Assemblyman Richard Bloom from Santa Monica, mm-hmm. Rob Bonta from uh, from Oakland. Um, but um, you know, he's David Chu's the most prominent one, yeah. I'd say. And so, well, you know, one of those. Um, Folks would have to step up, uh, I, w- I would guess, and take on that take on that role. And I know that they also have other interests. You know, Bonds is very involved in in uh, some of the bail reform issues, and I know um, Bloom is is very engaged in a lot of environmental issues. And so um, they'd have to decide that housing was the most important thing to them, um, or someone else would, would would have to fill the void. Um, I also think too we shouldn't understate how important um, San Francisco in particular, um, legislators are in the housing discussion. Yes. Um, you know, in 2016, we had a very hard fought race for state Senate um, between an open seat between uh, Scott Wiener, who who won. Um, and uh, at the time, his fellow San Francisco uh, supervisor, Jane Kim, who's still in office there. Um, and they have very, very, very different views on how to address the housing debate and housing crisis. And so had uh, Jane Kim defeated Scott Wiener, uh, the legislation that was introduced and ultimately passed um, this past year would have looked very different uh, than it ultimately ended up being. And so um, whoever would run to replace David Chu, I think given the centrality of housing to the discussion in San Francisco, uh, is automatically gonna be a major player in the housing debate in Sacramento. Um, should we move on to our uh, 2018 storylines to watch, or at, yeah. least, at least farther in the future of 2018? Yeah. In the first so why don't months. why don't you start? Why don't you give me your 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 top three, and we'll uh, we'll we'll debate them. Sure. I think come November, both at the state level and the federal level, keep an eye on what happens to legislators in the. Orange County, Northern San Diego area, because at both the state level and again in Congress, people went up on tough housing votes. Um, At the state level, it was uh, SB2, um, which was again that uh, real estate transaction fee. Um, You have a lot of moderate Democrats in not super democratic districts that are that always have tough reelection fights in non-presidential years um, that will be up for reelection. Um, so I'm thinking of Sharon Quirk Silva and Josh Newman. Um, I mean, on the other end of the uh, 
the political spectrum. You could even talk about Manshine a little bit, the Republican from Northern San Diego who voted for SB2. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens to those legislators. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of factors that determine whether they win or not, right? And to ascribe it mm -hmm. to one housing vote would be, you know, way too simplistic. But um, there was a reason why it was so difficult to get two-thirds on that vote, um, as well as difficult to get votes for other elements of the housing package. Um, at the federal level, it's more of a tale of what happens to Republicans um, that voted for the GOP tax plan. Now, they haven't voted yet, um, and a couple of the notable Republicans uh, from that area voted no on the plan that came out of the House, um, Rora Backer right. and Isa. But if they do end up voting yes, it'll be very interesting to see what happens to them uh, come fall. That I think that's a easy, along with everything Trump you're going to hear, that'll be an easy line of attack um, for Democrats going after those seats. Um, you voted against the mortgage interest deduction. Your uh, constituents are directly suffering because of this. Yeah, I, I think you're right on. I think you're right on on on, on both aspects. Um, as we know, the control of Congress um, could very well run through California, could very well well That's run right. through Orange County, where there are uh, again a bunch of seats that uh, Isa and Rebacher and uh, Mimi Walters, Ed Royce, all these folks that that were districts that voted for Clinton but kept a Republican as a representative in Congress, and so these are prime pickup areas. And so um, even if they didn't, folks don't vote for the tax plan. Um, yes. I think they're still going to be attacked and tarred with it, it uh, yep. because because their party did it. Um, and so uh, we will definitely see, um, um, you know, um, how much that the, the housing issues play a role in that. And then uh, I, I should just say on, on the uh, state legislators specifically, some of those races that I mentioned will be um, determinative of whether Democrats get a two thirds majority in uh, both chambers, which means any type of revenue generation specific to affordable housing like SB2, that will be what's on the line. Um, exactly. So beyond the possible second-order repercussions of difficult housing votes that were taken last term, there's just the general question of, oh, if a Democrat in one of these kind of swing districts loses their seat, that means it's going to be real, real hard for Atkins and Rendon to get a two-thirds vote to do anything like SB2 in the future. And the next governor, too. And the next governor, too. Very good point. So that's I was trying to I was trying good to segue. segue. You, I yeah. know. Well, let's alternate, actually. Let's, let's, okay. let's go. Let's pick the top one. I know we've talked about rent control before. We can. Yeah. Let, let's do it again. I know that's one yeah. of your. Go ahead. So um, we have, there's some news that, uh, we are going to have a hearing for the first time on this bill, um, that would, um, eliminate Costa Hawkins, which is the, uh, state law that makes it impossible to add further rent control, um, uh, protections on post-1995, um, properties. Um, and there's a bill that Assemblyman Richard Bloom has authored that gets started last year, but now has its first hearing on January 10th. Um, and it's going to be raucous, man. I mean, I can't wait for one of these. This is going to be like single payer level, like craziness up here. And, you know, I just I just can't wait. It's going to be all day. I bet it'll be all day. and It'll be Looney Tunes. And I think 
uh, I think that'll be great because it'll show how much people care about this issue, right? Yes. And that's what it shows. Um, and set and the so, tone for the rest of the year. And I will now insert a quick programming note that I forgot to at the beginning of the podcast, um, which is uh, our next podcast will be in the wake of what Liam is predicting as a circus hearing around Costa Hawkins. So look for that um, around January 10th or January 11th. We won't be podcasting until then, but that's the next one. Yes. Uh, so... Um, uh, you're right. I think it is going to set the tone. Um, and we'll see how many, how much legs it actually has. Remember last year, it couldn't even get a hearing. Now we got the hearing and it's going to be really rollicking and, um, we'll see if they advance it because again, like the opposition from the apartment association and, and similar groups is going to be, is very, very strong to this, um, to this issue. And, um, you know, not just that, um, there is also the threat on the other side, the sort of looming ballot measure threat, where yep. the same thing could be on, um, could be on the, the November 2018 ballot if enough signatures are, are, are collected for it. Um, and that would be a zillion dollar campaign. And so um, how this works its way through the legislature, um, you know, I think, I think when and if it changes, I, I'd be shocked, frankly, um, to see a clean repeal of Costa Hawkins and make it all the way through to the governor's desk. Me too. Um, and so... And so if that's the case, you know, are they going to kill it entirely? And if they do, how and where are they going to kill it, right? Because they you know, want to face another huge uh, outcry from some of the folks who are going to show up on, on the 10th. And Two, it, it, if they make a deal, will that, who will that, what will the deal look like and, and how will it be, who will it be acceptable to? Yes. Um, and so, will it be so, acceptable to friend of the podcast, Michael Weinstein? And not only him, but, um, but you know, uh, the apartment association, right? Yes, um, you know, on the you other know, side. Friend of the lawmakers who helped get him elected, right? <laughs> and so, and so, um, so, yeah, man, I mean, it's going to be that issue starting on, you know, January 10th is, is going to be really interesting to watch throughout the, throughout the entire year. Uh, it'll be a good podcast. Uh, why don't you go next with your kind of second big storyline of 2018? Sure. So, um, 2018 happens to be the 40th anniversary of uh, Proposition 13 passing, um, which is the uh, landmark. I mean, we use overuse that word, but I think in Prop 13's case, it's 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 it's, it's justified. Yes. A landmark um, ballot measure that greatly restricted um, property tax receipts uh, in California and kept property taxes low for homeowners um, and uh, other property owners, as we. Um, uh, we'll now see. And so we have at least, in my estimation, potentially three serious ballot measures on Prop 13 that could come across uh, the desk um, onto your ballot uh, next year. And um, one of them, you know, I think we talked a little bit about uh, in previous podcasts about this issue about whether local taxes um, need two-third majority to pass or a simple majority pass and mm -hmm. some confusion that was created by a ruling in the California Supreme Court. And so there's a GOP-led um, effort uh, here to um, try to make it clear that, yes, two-thirds, absolutely bulletproof, et cetera. Um, and so that's one potential thing I, I think we're going to debate with respect to Prop 13. Um, the second is uh, there was a, a measure that just uh, got sent in last week to uh, do uh, one of the uh, liberal folks' holy grails with respect to Prop 13, which is what's called split roll. Split roll. Uh, 
Foot roll. We should think of a we should think of a sound for that, like sequa too. Foot roll. Um, yeah. So split roll, um, which what that does is it allows uh, local governments to assess um, uh, commercial industrial properties uh, at their market rate rather than the rate when they were first purchased uh, and assessed. And so significantly more um, tax revenue could come into the state. An estimate I already saw was eleven billion a year, which is yeah. a lot money. Um, and so this is, you know, this sort of thing big is, deal. again, ho- big, big holy deal. grail, kind of a war of all against all. I mean, you have business groups who are very upset with the business climate and business taxes anyway in the state. And yeah. this has always been, you know, again, if you overuse the word third rail, but this is another one that they, you know, will absolutely go to war to to defend. Yes. Um, and so we will see, you know, right now it's a bunch of progressive groups who filed the measure. We'll see how much how much financial resources they have to a, get the thing qualified, and B, be ready to spend tens, if not $100 million um, on that campaign. Um, yes, and, 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 the, yeah. and the, the third initiative, which is what we've already uh, uh, mentioned, what Liam and I have been calling a de facto expansion of Prop 13 for elderly, ho- I, don't, I shouldn't say elderly, older homeowners who want to relocate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so like, you know, that measure... Um, as for, from the Association of Realtors, and they yeah. look very serious. They've, they've already raised their money and are get, you know, get, getting ready to collect signatures if they haven't started already. What that would do is, is it allows um, you know, residents over 55 yeah. to take a portion of their Prop 13 tax break with them if they want to buy a new home. Um, and the benefit, of course, is you know, the realtors say, well, the, the uh, you know, older folks are stuck in their houses because they can't afford um, a, a new one because of the tax increase that they would face. Uh, and so that's the benefit is it, it would increase home sales. Um, but of course, the, the downside is um, the amount of money potentially lost to local governments by having further Prop 13 restrictions and also adding a uh, another level of of, uh, of protection for homeowners that will come at the expense of uh, at the expense of, of uh, those who don't own, own homes. And so one way of kind of framing these um, is in one way or another a major third rail of California housing policy is going to be touched. Uh, that's, that's how I would frame all of this debate around Prop 13. Uh, because I think you're right. Yeah. Let's assume that the Realtors Initiative does make the ballot. If it does, the counter-argument against it is going to invoke split rule, right? Like they, the, the argument against yeah. it is partly going to be Prop 13 has, from that perspective, caused a lot of problems. We should be doing away with it. We should not be expanding it in this way. Um, yep. Even if that second initiative you mentioned doesn't end up uh, getting on the ballot. So just like the mortgage interest deduction, you know, there, there are a lot of things that were conventionally thought of as this will never be touched. And maybe kind of this stuff will kind of be touched. You know, maybe right. a little tap, well, and a little I, tap on the rail. I, 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 a little tap, and I think to a lesser extent, you, you could talk, you could put put rent control in that, uh, in that, in that yes. you know issue as well. I mean, yes. we have more than twenty years of this sort of Costa Hawkins regime yes. in California, right? Um, and so, uh, which again, very vocal, very vocally and financially defended by uh, the Apartment Association and others. And yes. so, um, the, you know, these issues are you know are going to be um, debated one shape, one way, shape, or form. And let's not also forget that we, there's going to be another. There is already a ballot measure. Um, in November, that affordable advocates are going to work very hard to pass, which is four billion dollars, yes. uh, four billion dollar bond uh, that was authorized at the end of the last legislative session, and that I know is a top priority of um, of a bunch of a, a number of folks in the affordable housing community. Um, and with that, 
I will very quickly mention some of the other things that are on my radar and Liam's radar, which we will likely devote entire episodes to in the new year, which is, I would say housing is going to be as big an issue as it's ever been um, in California's uh, gubernatorial race, in the race for governor. I think housing will be as prominent as it's ever been, um, partly because of the yeah, ballot initiatives that we've been talking about. It's going to force going to force the candidates to respond to some kind of specifics on housing. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that there are already kind of plans out there from um, Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom and State Treasurer John Chung and also yeah. um, and also uh, former L.A. Mayor Antonio Villaraigosa. They're all talking about things in different ways, but they're also talking about like, you know, sort of the broad outlines of what everyone says that we need, which is, you know, more money and more, more home building in general, right? And so yeah. they're all talking about that. But you know, and that's all well and good, but sort of how you get there. I mean, Newsom in particular, you know, has already said, for instance, he wants three and a half million new homes built by 2025, which is a, a, a roughly a quadrupling of the housing production that we do in California now to meet that goal. Yes. And, and, you know, I don't know, man. You sound uh, you know, skeptical, Liam. Well, uh, show me, show it to me. Show me how you're going to get there. Mm. And, and, and again, you know, he's, he's talked about, um, you know, more money and regulatory reform, but unless you sort of, when brass tax, you know, when it comes to brass tax, I, you gotta see, you gotta just, it would take such a dramatic, um, changes in how California approves housing that I'm interested, interested to see whether he's gonna make those, um, put those ideas into practice. Okay. Um, you've heard our infallible predictions on 2018. Let's talk to an actual human being. Yes, let's get to a human being. Amy Domatan. So we're here with uh, Amy Tomatan, who we've touted uh, as a real person. Uh, so Amy, <laughs> thank you. Prove it, thank Amy. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about your housing experience. Yeah, we recently bought a house and um, who's had we? to... Who's we? Tell uh, us who, my husband tell us and I... So I got married in July and we moved into a house that I had owned since 2008, um, a really cute, but 900 square foot with no closet situation kind of house. Um, and we moved in and decided to buy a new house for a couple of reasons. The first being space. And then the second being that we just felt with getting married and moving in together that we wanted a space that was both of ours rather than a space that was just mine. Mm -hmm. And so we weren't sure about the timing and, um, a friend of mine had posted on Facebook that she was selling her house and it was this really great house on a park and, um, they have really good taste and they take them really great care of it. And it was a little sooner on our timeline than we thought. And I said, well, let's just go take a look. And we went and looked at the house and we loved it. And it seemed the reason we went to look at it is that it seemed it was priced suspiciously low for how nice it was and how big it was. And we thought, gosh, we could essentially trade mortgages and get into this house because I'd bought so uh -huh. long ago. And in the meantime, oh, so you I, own, so you, I'm so, so I'm sorry. So you, you own your house, the 900 square foot house that you were, that yes. you were in. Okay. Yes. Got it. And I bought that during the crash where the process to buy a house was, Hey, just pick one. <laughs> <laughs> and this is this is again we're talking in sacramento so that's yeah what... yeah and it uh -huh. and i actually had a very easy time buying a house at the age of 26 in probably wow. the nicest neighborhood in sacramento because it was in 2008 and nobody was buying houses you know well-established neighborhood 
And previous to buying the house, I had noticed that a couple of houses on my street had gone for about $150,000 to $200,000 more than I had paid for my house. And I started thinking, gosh, I think something's going on here. So maybe we ought to think about moving while the market is hot. And so um, we went and looked at this house and I called my agent that I'd used 10 years ago and said, hey, Mike, we're kind of interested in this house and let's just put an offer in and see what happens. And so we offered 50 over asking on this first house. And because he pulled the comps and said, you know, I think I think you'll get it at this price. And we did not get the house. We got beat out by an all cash offer that I believe was 60 or $65,000 above asking. Wow. Wow. And And so what, what, what was the, what was the rough price range for this particular house? That house I think ended up going for about 615 and it was about 1400 square feet, not remodeled. And in, in what part of Sacramento? Lamb park. Okay. Okay. And so then I got obsessed with going on Redfin during conference calls and um, said you know, to my husband, you know, I think we ought to think about moving sooner rather than later because I think the market's going up so fast, we're going to get priced out of the size of house that we want. And keep in mind, we didn't want a castle or, you know, anything crazy. We wanted a three bedroom, two bathroom house with some yard and, uh, Are you, know. you looking to start a family, Amy? Is that part of what motivated this yeah. decision? Yeah. Yeah, we looked around our house and thought, gosh, we don't even have a coat closet. If we put a kid in here, it would be really tight because my husband's clothes were in the second bedroom and we had wedding presents like under the bed that we couldn't even use because it was just so small. And um, I loved my house. I loved it. I was I cried three times leaving it, but it was, you know, a great single lady house. And so we thought, you know, gosh, if we want to start a family in the next couple of years, we ought to think about buying the house now in an effort not to have you know, 10 life transitions in the space of a couple months. Yeah. So, you know, we didn't want anything super fancy. We just wanted, you know, a three bedroom, two bathroom house with a little bit of a yard in a pretty safe neighborhood with not an insane commute. And so, um, you know what it was. So then we put in offers on two other houses and were beat out by all cash. And, um, one of those houses, we went to look, and it was a Friday. I got really excited. It was this cool mid-century modern house that was all redone. It was against the bike trail. It was in a price range we could afford. I think it was six forty. And um, I thought, gosh, with my equity, like this would be so great. So we go. We look at the house. I love it. I say to my agent, you know, let's write an offer. They're due on Tuesday because in a competitive market, the agent set offer de- deadlines to drive demand. And so, um, we're coming out of the house and this guy drives up and at this point I'm despondent over the whole house search. Like we're never going to find anything. All these tech millionaires in the Bay area are buying everything up here in Sacramento. And so this guy drives up in a red Tesla, like a cartoon, like someone had called central casting and said, send me a tech bro. And it's October in Sacramento, so it's like 93 degrees, which we all know that happens, but from San Francisco, they don't know that happens. So he gets out of his red Tesla in like a too tight cashmere sweater, and I just look at my husband and I go, we're, we're not getting this house. This man with the all cash is getting the house. And he just looks at me and says, well, how do you know that? And I just pointed to the Tesla and sort of drove away in my Ford. And, um, 
So the house actually went pending before the um, offers were due. And I don't know for sure it was the guy in the Tesla, but um, I was pretty sure. It's a pretty good guess. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I, I would bet that it was that guy in that Tesla. Totally. And it was just such an instructive moment for me where, you know, I've been reading Liam's work and other people's work about the housing crisis and I knew it was real, but I thought it was somewhere else. I thought it was in the Bay Area. I thought it was in L.A. And, you know, I live in Sacramento, which is a pretty livable place, which is one of the many reasons we live here. And I just thought to myself, gosh, if we are two people with good jobs and who have the unfortunate experience of just having to have a mortgage, which I didn't know was a problem, how hard would it be if we were not middle class or had less paying jobs or didn't have the advantage of eight years of equity in a house. Like how on earth would a person ever buy a house? So, um, happy ending. We ended up in a great house that we really love, um, in Southland park, but it took us five months, um, to get in here and, um, sold my house. No problem. But um, we were laughing to a guy who rolled up (laughs) in a Tesla and offered you 40 above asking. Yeah, we were laughing. We were like, send us the tech millionaires. <laughs> but it actually went to a sweet couple who lives here in Sacramento, and I felt really good about that. But um, we should close, actually, this week. But, yeah, it was it was a whole thing. Let me ask you this. Would you have sold to somebody from the Bay who fit that cartoonish character of the guy that beat you out? I mean... Probably if the offer had been really good, but to be honest, but I wouldn't have felt good about it. You know, I think that's what matters. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, you know, I think if we'd gotten to a situation where we'd had multiple offers around the same price point, I would have gone with the person who was a member of the community and, um, you know, who had to have a mortgage because it's just, it's tough. It's tough yeah. out there. And, um, I don't know what the answer is. That's up to people smarter than me who know more about the stuff than I do, but it was, it was pretty instructive. And then of course we started panicking about the tax bill. Like, Oh my gosh, this house is more than $500,000. Are we going to be able to afford it if this thing passes? Right. And we still, you know, thankfully we closed before. So we're grandfathered, but I mean, <laughs> in California, a $500,000 house is not a luxury house. It's just not. Yeah. I mean, even in Sacramento, there are two ones on my old street that went for 530 that were not wow. special. Wow. wow. Yeah. So, so you work in public affairs and what does your husband do? Um, he works in healthcare doing data analytics. Okay. And so, and, and then how much were you, roughly how much ultimately did you end up uh, uh, spending on the house? Uh, high sixes. Yeah. High sixes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Which is expensive. Uh, and and yeah. the house is beautiful and it's a nice neighborhood, but it's not, you know, it's 1800 square feet. It's not huge. You know, do you think, um, when you do have children, do you think they'll end up living in California once they become adults? I hope so. Can't break the chain. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a tremendous amount of pride about being a Californian. Um, you know, my family came here in the 1700s, and we are just that Wild West pioneer. You know, we live here, we farmed the land, and I feel like California is as much in my DNA as having brown hair is. And so I can't imagine that I wouldn't pass that down. 
But my husband's family immigrated here from Singapore and Hong Kong, and I think they feel differently about being Californian. So it'll be interesting to see. But, you know, I'd be sad for them if they lived somewhere else. Even if it's 400 million Bitcoin for a studio <laughs> apartment in uh, Elk Grove. Yeah, whatever it is we're using for currency by then. The robots aren't making us houses. What What other lessons did you take away from from this experience? And yeah, you also said that you you know you didn't quite expect this to be something that someone in Sacramento would have to go through. What What did you learn, I guess, more broadly about what the problems are like here in the in the state through your experience? I think how real the problems are um, is something that I learned, and how. Um, fortunate I am to be in the position that I am and just how privileged we really are because we were able to have options and to live in the neighborhood that we wanted to. And, and just that the, but if we had a hard time, the housing crisis must be really real. And, you know, it's probably time for some people to do that. And, you know, I've heard stories and I take the train into Oakland for work sometimes and people are working on the train and commuting from here to the Bay Area every day, and that's that's a tough quality of life. So, um, just grateful, and it's competitive, and you better know what you want because if you see something you want to buy, you should jump on it. Um, Amy, is there anything else you want to add? No, that's it. But keep doing what you're doing, and let's get this thing solved. Thank you, Amy. Happy uh, Happy New Year. Thank you. Thanks, Aaron. you too. Congrats on the house. Thanks. Thanks.